Welcome to Dr. Waffle and Friends, a podcast where we share personal writing and then chat about it together. And now, here's Tanya with the reading. Birth of a Swifty. It's the middle of the pandemic when I hear that Taylor Swift won something at the Grammys. It occurs to me that I've never heard a Taylor Swift song, and maybe I should give her a listen. The thought knocks around in my head for a few weeks before I take action. As a 55-year-old with no kids to orient me to music that was produced after the 1980s, I'm not sure where to start. Fortunately, one of the many podcasts I listen to about TV shows from the 1990s is Best of Friends, and original co-host Krista Doyle, who I love, recently returned as a guest and talked about the podcast she's doing about Taylor Swift, where they cover one song per episode. Perfect. This is the appropriate depth of knowledge to satisfy a researcher. Because I am orderly, I start listening to Holy Swift at episode one, which premiered five years earlier in October 2016, and I am introduced to the song Blank Space, which I come to understand is a banger, and to the podcasters who are so delightful that I decide to send them an email. In the first episode, they all shared their origin stories with Taylor Swift, and I think they should know that my origin story is their podcast. I just finished listening to the first three episodes. I'm loving it so far and learning so much. For example, in episode one, when you mentioned Blank Space was from 1989, I thought, oh, I didn't realize Taylor Swift was releasing songs that long ago. But then it became clear that 1989 was the name of the album. Thanks for bringing me out of the pop culture dark ages. I keep listening. Three months and 46 episodes later, I send a second email in which I describe the playlist I'm curating. It consists only of songs that you've discussed in the episodes I've listened to, because I hate spoilers, so I'm not listening to anything you haven't covered yet in my listen, which is a little frustrating to my boyfriend who appreciates Taylor Swift and is like, really, we can only listen to these six Taylor Swift songs over and over again? I also reveal the vastness of my musical obliviousness by sharing that I don't know who Kanye, Jay-Z, and John Mayer are. A month later, I lean into my background as a sexuality educator and send them some educational information related to their discussion of episode 69. I also share this. As I've mentioned, I'm learning a lot from your podcast, but due to the audio-only format, I haven't learned a crucial piece of information from you, which is what Taylor Swift looks like. I did learn from you that she's white and tall and has blue eyes, and there are these tiny pictures of the album covers in Apple Music, but I didn't have a clear picture of Taylor. Fortunately, I have a friend with a 13-year-old daughter, and she pulled out all the posters that used to be on her walls and showed them to me. Turns out, Taylor Swift is very pretty. My boyfriend observes that, although it may have been somewhat charming that I had never heard a Taylor Swift song, given the widespread availability of Google images, this email where I don't know what she looks like sounds sort of psychotic. Nevertheless, I persist. My new besties, Krista Kelly and Jessica, accompany me as I drive and cook and beach walk, and I email them periodically about my spoiler-free journey through their podcast. 
including my ignorance of how many albums Taylor Swift has released, wondering whether she's still with Joe, and my need to avoid meeting Hyam at their concert for fear they will let something slip about their good friend Taylor. In October 2021, I'm listening to an episode from December 2019, and now I'm the one who knows something they don't. Spoiler alert for the global pandemic. I write to them. In episode 118, you were looking forward to the Lover Tour, and Krista was like, is this fun listening to our travel planning for August 2020? And I'm thinking, no, honey, the fact that you thought you were going anywhere in August 2020 is just so sad. I'm not the only one who is emailing Holy Swift. Listeners send in questions and their favorite sandwiches and games for Jessica, Krista, and Kelly to play. November 2021, I write, I'm really enjoying the game of what Taylor Swift lyric signs you would put up in your house, episode 141, and I wanted to suggest some products along these lines. A recycling bin with, I'll be cleaning up bottles with you, and a dry erase board with, I've got a blank space, baby. Not only do I possess deep knowledge of Taylor Swift songs, I get the inside jokes and games for the podcast. I'm not just a Swifty. I'm a holy Swifty. A short week later, I catch up to myself. Seven months and 155 episodes after sending my first email to the Holy Swift podcast, I hear them read it. I scream. And then I laugh at their incredulity of my ignorance of T-Swift. I pen pal them how excited I am that they read my email. I also share that I misunderstood the name of a collaborator on the Folklore album, thinking they were saying Bunny Bear rather than Bon Iver. Also, upon seeing my email signature, they were surprised that a published author with a doctoral degree was listening to their dumbass podcast. I close with, I hope you find my lack of pop culture knowledge as charming as I find your descriptions of classic novels and old movies. And don't be surprised that someone with a PhD listens to your podcast. Y'all are smart and funny, and I'm learning a lot from you. A mere eight episodes later, they read another email from me, the one about episode 69, which led to a lengthy conversation about women's sexuality. I am thrilled to have inspired this discussion, and I totally feel like I'm part of the pod. And then, suddenly, I'm caught up, listening in real time, and I have to wean myself off the Holy Swift daily binge as new episodes drop weekly and then stop altogether in March 2022. I had powered through 173 episodes, six years of a podcast in less than one year. I find ways to stay engaged as the Holy Swifters create a Taylor Swift-themed version of Wordle, Taylordle. I watch all of Taylor's music videos. I find a podcast that covers one Taylor Swift album per episode, which guides me through my project of listening to the artist's work in chronological order, allowing her musical trajectory to unfold as others have experienced it. When Midnight is released, I vibe with the fans in real time as I listen to the album the night it drops and watch TikToks of joyful Swifties. I record an episode of my friend's Buddhist podcast where we dissect the song Karma. 
When concert tickets go on sale, I experience the anticipation and then disappointment in community with a vast network of Swifties. Meanwhile, my playlist has grown to 59 of my favorite Taylor Swift songs. After a destination date night in December 2022, my Facebook post reads, Schlepped across D.C. and stood outside in winter to get into the Taylor Swift bejeweled-themed bar and enjoy a Champagne Problems cocktail. Later the same evening, I discovered that my Apple Music 2022 replay list is 100 songs all by Taylor Swift. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. A month later, I post a Twitter poll to see which of my obsessions people think or hope will be the focus of my new podcast. No one picks memoir, which is the actual focus of the podcast. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Cheese tie for second, the winner, of course, being Taylor Swift. So I decide to write a memoir piece about how I came to be a Swifty. I start the research in my sent email, unearthing my missives to Holy Swift. And then I wonder when exactly Taylor Swift won the Grammy, when the thought to listen to her popped into my head. A quick Google search informs me that Taylor Swift's Folklore won the Grammy for Best Album on March 14, 2021, so I would have heard about it on NPR the next day. And the moment comes into sharp focus. March 15, 2021. A year into the pandemic lockdown. Two and a half years into my mom's illness. And five days after her death. I am standing in the bathroom willing myself to shower, having stalled out as I ready myself to clean out her empty apartment. When NPR informs me that Taylor Swift has won a Grammy, and I think, I've never heard a Taylor Swift song. I really should give her a listen. And with that memory, the tears flow fresh, recollecting the grief, the isolation, the hollow in my life where my mom had resided realizing that Taylor Swift, along with three podcasters who love her, had thrown me a lifeline, filled my ears and my heart, and kept me company as I trudged through my loss. Taylor was the right one for the job, with her superpower of tapping into all the feels. And as she's done for so many others, she bridged my gap from heartbreak to healing and hope. Long live, Taylor. Long live. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Dee. Thank you so, 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 so much for that piece. I freaking love it. Everything about it. I think it's just so funny and smart and interesting and extremely informative, which we'll get get to in a little bit. Um, But before we dive in, I just want to say again, I mean, I know I said this to you in person at the time, but um, I'm really sorry about your mom. I appreciate your sharing that with us and tying together those emotions with the Taylor Swift piece. I thought it was really great. Uh, um, thank you so much. And we're yeah. recording this on, on March 12th, 2023. So it's actually two years and two days since my mom passed. And I, right, so yeah. I feel like this is an apt tribute to her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is nice. This is a, it's not quite the yard site, but close enough. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, and also before I dive in, sorry, I had one other super, super important question. Is the Holy Swift podcast over? Is that what I'm to infer? 
they do not seem to still be recording it. Um, but, you know, you can always go back and listen <laughs> all the way through, through from the beginning. No, that's uh, of course. an option. <laughs> I probably will at some point. Anyway, I, uh, I'm in a similar position with my... I'm not nearly as organized or religious a listener as you were with Holy Swift. We listen to Race Chaser a lot, which is the podcast by Alaska and Willem, who are two former RuPaul drag queens, where they're going back and dissecting and analyzing and talking about every single episode of all versions of RuPaul's Drag Race oh, since fun. the very beginning. Yeah. So it's it's a similar kind of thing where I'm like, one day they're going to catch up. And then what's going to happen to me? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Um, fortunately, I hope like the actual show Drag Race will go on forever. So they'll always be able to do the podcast. But anyway. Okay. So diving right in to the actual memoir, this piece is a little bit different, right? I mean, it felt like a slightly different format, maybe a little bit more. I mean, obviously the memoir pieces you've written before and shared on the podcast have all been personal because they're memoir pieces, but mm -hmm. this one felt a little sharper, like a little bit more intensely personal. Um, I was wondering mm. if you had that reaction too, if you felt like this was somehow a different or a departure. The interesting thing about this memoir is, I mean, I really say it in the piece itself, but I didn't know where I was going with it when I started. Mm -hmm. Like I really just started by truly because people seem to want to hear me talk about Taylor Swift and, or <laughs> I don't think they want to hear me talk about Taylor Swift. I think people just want to hear anyone talk about Taylor Swift. <laughs> sure. And so I was like, Oh, well maybe that's what I'll write. And so I really was in the middle of writing it when I went back and I did that research, it hadn't occurred to me kind of the emotional role that podcasts and the whole journey through Taylor Swift uh, was playing in my life mm -hmm. while it was happening. And, you know, it really is sort of the miracle of writing sometimes that, mm -hmm. that we discover things through the writing. It's not that we sort of have this discovery and then we write it down, mm -hmm. but at least I, you know, I think it happens to other people too, mm -hmm. sort of yeah. things unfold through that process. I never really understood that before. Sometimes fiction writers will talk about how, you know, they need to see what their characters say. And I was always like, what on earth does that mean? But when I realized that I don't even know what I'm going to say, <laughs> yeah, yes. Then, yes. then I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. I, I get a little bit more how the writing process taps into something. That kind of comment that I needed to hear the voices of my characters or I wasn't done with the characters or I didn't know what they were going to do next – Th mm -hmm. Those kinds of comments always struck me too as just bizarre. Like I, I'm not a fiction writer. I've never been able to write fiction. I was always just a poet and then an essayist, and so I don't get that at all. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's interesting that that strikes you too. I know. But I always say like I'm I'm creative enough to to write, but I'm not creative enough to make things up. So I can only write things that are true that have happened the, to me. It's the plots, right? Like I just. I feel like, you know, language part is easier. That kind of, the you know, writing beautiful things part is kind of feels, I mean, easy, but it feels natural. Like, but I can't come up with stories to save my life. I really can't. Mm -hmm. And when I read a novel with a really intricate plot, like say, you know, The Secret History or something like that, I uh, or The Goldfinch, I guess, is the most recent one where I had this thought where I was like, what an incredibly intricate plot. But after you finish reading it, it feels so natural. Like, of course, that's what had to have happened next. And it seems like it's easy to come up with, but it's really not easy to come mm -hmm. up with. So, But it's interesting that you say that you wrote your way into that ending because, of course, you present it 
as as that's what happened on the page. But there, you could have made that up in a sense. You know what I mean? Like you talk about how when you were writing this essay, then you reached this point where in your research, you went back and saw the date and had this realization, mm-hmm. et cetera. But you could have already known you were going to get there. No, I've already told you I am not creative <laughs> enough to make this up. <laughs> right. My memoir is just... It, it's just so accurate because <laughs> I, I have no choice. Yeah. So when you actually talk about the writing process itself, you are undergoing the writing process as you are writing. There's no yeah. like kind of tricks or mirrors or anything right. there. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is that um, what I realized was if it hadn't been for that, it just wouldn't have been an interesting story. You know, it just mm-hmm. would have been like me sort of tromping through, you know, this podcast. But the fact that there was that piece about the writing and about Mm. the, you know, realizing the role that it played. That's what actually makes it something worth writing and reading Mm -hmm. and hopefully listening to. I beg to differ because I still would have very much enjoyed a memoir about your becoming a Swifty, even if it didn't have the, the, (laughs) the tie into your mom. Seriously. I just thought like, it's, it's amusing and interesting even on its own. But then as you say, though, the fact that it does tie in with, your mom and thinking about loss and about the pandemic and about loneliness and all that that's the real payoff but I mm-hmm. still think it would have been pretty funny and great even, <laughs> even that. um you told me I guess maybe even mentioned on the last podcast I can't remember now that this was the, this is the first memoir piece you've written since we started doing the podcast is that right right it is so did that change your process at all like you were you knew you were going to be recording this and talking about it did it actually affect the process of writing in any way Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know, because I'm always writing as if I'm going to be reading it. Uh, Mm. So I think I've said, you know, often I'm reading it live at uh, Center Stage Theater here in Santa Barbara. So this is the first one I've been reading for the podcast, but I I don't know that it changed it that much. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really different from my experience, because I didn't ever think about reading these things aloud when I started writing, Mm. and I still don't, actually. Nothing... I'm not ever writing anything thinking maybe this will be on the podcast someday. Maybe I You're should. Just writing for the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So so what what did you like best about this one? I love the ending. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the the shift. I read this out loud quite a few times before uh recording it, mm-hmm. thinking that maybe that would help me to get through it without getting wrecked at the end uh mm-hmm. with my emotions, but mm-hmm didn't matter you know it just it just hit me every time I've got sort of three different tones in here there's just sort of my writing voice and then there's my writing to holy swift voice um Mm -hmm. and but then at the end it just I I don't know I sort of surprise myself every time I Mm -hmm. I almost forget that that's where I'm going when I'm reading it out loud Uh, it's it's just like every single time it catches me off guard Mm -hmm. yeah morning and feelings of loss can just do that. You think you're prepared, but I remember my parents both died within a year of each other. And yeah. so my parents were obsessed with the movie Mamma Mia. That's like probably another mm. whole essay topic. Like their gravestone says, here we go again. We we put that on their gravestone. They didn't ask oh. for it. We're just like, this is the most appropriate thing we can think of to put on their gravestone. I love it. I anyway, my sister and I went to see the second Mamma Mia, 10 years later one, mm-hmm. and it's the one where Meryl Streep is dead. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I just it's okay. I've seen it. 
Okay. Oh, that could have been a real disaster. <laughs> Again, the movie's been out for like five years, but yes. so I, I'm not, I'm not too worried about anybody else out there. But if I'd spoiled it for you, I would. That would have been really bad. Sorry. Okay. So moving, moving on. The mother Meryl Streep is dead, and there's the scene at the very end where she goes up in the chapel, and Meryl Streep appears and sings the mm. song. I forget which song it is. And my sister and I, we went to see the movie. And we were just a freaking mess. Oh. And we were just like, it's like snot, you know, like just like crying mm. so hard. And so we were like, well, we really liked that movie a lot. It was really fun. But let, we want to go see it again without crying. Like, let's just go see it again. And we went the next day. And we're <laughs> like, all right, now we know this crazy scene with Meryl Streep is coming. So we're obviously not going to cry. Probably cried more, right? It's like, oh again, gosh. the snot and the howling and the weeping and the tissues and everything. So it just doesn't help to be prepared like it just yeah. it just hits you I'm sure I would probably have the same reaction if I watched it right now so yeah I, I was wondering how this story would hit you because I know that you lost your parents pretty recently yeah yeah it's been gosh I mean we just had the five-year anniversary of my dad in February oh, really? so it has been four years for my mom so it's not mm. that recent weirdly it mm. just feels recent um yeah yeah I mean there's something about being an orphan in your 50s which mm. seems like it shouldn't be a thing but you know, I have friends who, you know, who lost their parents even younger um, mm -hmm. and friends who lost their parents older. And everybody always says kind of the same thing that like once both parents are gone, it's just kind of like you're on the edge of a cliff sort of feeling. I mean, just the thing that strikes me is how present it still is for me, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how present my mom is for me and how present the loss is, you know, periodically it just kind of pops up sometimes. And I, I remember thinking, shortly after she died, well, you know, I, I really have the rest of my life to, to grieve her. So I don't have yeah. to do it all now. Um, and, and I, yeah. I think we also have no choice. Like we will, you know, it'll come up when yeah. it comes up. Yeah. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Like there's no rush. You don't have to like, yeah, sometimes grief does feel like that. You've got to like work it all through and kind of like push through it somehow or like wallow in it and make it all come out the other side or something. But yeah, it doesn't, you don't have to organize it. You don't have to mm -hmm. try to, to rush it. Yeah. Is there anything about the essay that you feel like you would do differently now or you'd want to rewrite or, or, or switch up? Uh, well, I changed a few things this morning. So <laughs> as you, as you, as you usually do, right? I know. <laughs> I'm always I'm always tinkering just a little bit. You yeah. know, I have so much more that I wrote to them in emails. It's um so part of me is like, oh, but I don't share this thing that I wrote or this thing that I wrote. And and there's so much more to their podcast. So I feel like there's a lot more. And I still listen to Taylor Swift constantly. I mean, it's it's almost all of what I listen to. So I feel like I have probably more that I could say about all of this, but I don't know that, 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 that the story would, um, would benefit from greater elaboration on any of that. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's okay. I don't know. Is there anything you would want me to change about it or anything you wanted to know more about or less about? I thought it was kind of perfect. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I guess, of course, it would have been fun and interesting to hear maybe more of the emails or more of their reactions to the emails or, um, yeah, or maybe even some more about particular songs that you like, what your favorite, why you think your favorite songs, your favorite songs. But that would just be a longer essay, and that would mm -hmm. be fine. But this, so it didn't feel like anything was missing. It was just yeah. kind of like, this is what you could do if you wanted to turn it into a longer 
piece, but it's kind of yeah. great on its own. Yeah. I am. Um, one of the things that really struck me about it, or the one of the things that I thought was so charming was the relationship between you and these podcasters, right? <laughs> just the fact that you were so willing to just be like, ah, I don't know anything. What does she even look like? <laughs> um, it's just, it's just so charming. And it made me start thinking about the concept of, you know, fan mail and writing to people out of the blue. A number of years ago, I made this decision that I was going to write emails to academics whose like critical articles I had read that I really oh, admired. Oh, fantastic. Because I just feel like, you know, we get, God, we get so little. We don't get paid for it. We don't get, <laughs> you know, we, we get very little, you know, there's no praise or anything hardly ever. And so, um, yeah, I just started doing this thing. And people are always, of course, completely thrilled. And I have actually since gotten a number of emails from people who've read my work. And so I'm, I always wonder if it's like a karma thing, you know, like, and not from the same people. It's just like, I put it out there. So it came back maybe, or maybe it's just mm -hmm. like a shift and people kind of started doing it. But um, I recently decided to broaden my practice a little bit. And I wrote a couple of fan letters to writers whose work I like, not academics. And um, one, in one case, it was an extremely famous writer, like a staggeringly famous writer who did write back. And that was really delightful. And the other one was a, a very a well-known essayist. And I'm not going to say names here because I don't know why. I just feel weird about it. But um, one of them was a, a well-known essayist who's I read two of his books and thought they were really great. But I tried to find him online and there was no he didn't have any contact information. He had like a P.O. box. And I was like, all right, dude. You're not getting away that easy. <laughs> so I, I I typed up a paper letter and mailed it to this P.O. box. And like six months later, I got a response. He was like, oh, the mail was forwarded to me. I'm not even there anymore, blah, blah, blah. But in my letter to him, I'd said, I feel a little self-conscious about this. I don't think I've written a paper fan letter since Sean Cassidy, right? <laughs> <laughs> So he wrote back a paper letter that was delightful, like very, you know, detailed and responded to all the stuff I said and full of like, you know, really charming or whatever. But he enclosed a color printout of a picture of Sean Cassidy that he signed with his own name. No, that yes. is fantastic. I love I know. it. I know. I know. That was like by far my, my most successful ever, you know, fan thing. But this is pretty close. I mean, getting your emails read on the podcast that you are oh fanning God. about. It was, it, I mean... It yeah. was thrilling. One of the very funny things that they said when they were talking about my emails is that they thought it was really funny that I only want to get information about Taylor Swift from them. Like I didn't <laughs> want to, like I was making sure I didn't find out whether Taylor and Joe were still together because I like, I just wanted to hear all of my Taylor Swift news from them. Yeah. Which yeah. you think is would be hard to not find out stuff but apparently about I'm taylor really... swift yes <laughs> that's hard <laughs> but yeah, yeah i don't know i don't i don't pay attention to sort of pop culture news and things like that so yeah. it's it's yeah. a little easier for me i am right. so curious though because i sent you one of my taylor swift playlists because mm -hmm. i have many now and i'm mm -hmm. so curious about what you think about taylor swift well, here you go. This is the part of the podcast where I confess that my origin story <laughs> with Taylor Swift is your essay about your origin story. Because I just, it's one of those things, of course, I knew who Taylor Swift is. And indeed, I did know what she looked like. <laughs> but I, and I, you know, heard some songs and there's like a couple of songs that I knew were Taylor Swift songs. And then there were others where I was like, didn't even know that that was her. They're just songs I heard a lot and didn't even realize 
so it was like pretty new to me. Like a lot of this music I hadn't heard before. And so we listened to it in the car because that's where I do all my binging of stuff. And yeah, it was really fun. It was, um, I mean, I made Scott listen to it too. And we're like, you know, tapping our toes and I have a couple favorites and yeah. So I'm, I will continue to listen to Taylor Swift, but it's funny that I, I was in the same boat as you. I'm like, oh, that young woman that the young people are listening to or whatever. Like <laughs> apparently the middle-aged child-free academics do not have any. <laughs> Not, cool about yeah. Taylor Swift. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, all right. Um, but that's also like, you kind of touch on this in the essay. Maybe maybe this would be something it would be interesting to hear more about if you were like writing a longer piece or whatever. But you touch on it in the essay, the phenomenon of just like not keeping up with music, like mm-hmm. when you reach a certain age. So my like last, I would say like 2000, honest to God, is like my cutoff. I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like I kept listening religiously to new music right through the 90s. And like, Scott and I got married in 2000 and so that feels also really symbolic and it was a new millennium and September 11th all this stuff you know happened and also I just you know hit my like late 30s I guess or mid 30s or whatever it was and so I just you know I just stopped listening but I remember somewhere around 97 98 thinking to myself I'm never going to stop listening to music. Like, how weird is that? Why would you? I mean, I listen to music. Don't get me wrong, but I don't listen mm-hmm. to new music. I don't like keep up with the new stuff. I just listen to the stuff that I listened to in the '90s and the '80s over and over again. So there's some kind of weird thing. Like, it's just. Do you think it's just like we? Is it about not having kids that so you're not listening to the stuff that they're bringing into the house, or is it about uh, I don't know, just like less bandwidth or different? formats or I mean why do you think that that shift happens even when you try not to make it happen let it happen yeah I I really I I really don't know um but also I'm completely happy just listening to the music from you know up through the 1980s like Mm -hmm. I I love that music I think it's very evocative of a sort of time in my life where I was you know discovering music and where I mean, this is the great thing about Taylor Swift, too. Like, she was that age and was writing for people that age, you know, in their teens and 20s. So that's kind of the music um, from my life that I love is the music from my teens and 20s, because Mm -hmm. it strikes me that that's a time of life where it's like a song or an artist will get you through whatever, you know, whether it's a fight with a friend or a breakup or a road trip or prom or like whatever it is, the music, it's so much like the soundtrack to my youth. Mm -hmm. And it's not the soundtrack to my adulthood, you know, like I don't, except now apparently with Taylor Swift is completely the soundtrack (laughs) to my, you know, mid (laughs) (laughs) fifties. But do you feel like I mean, there's something too about, I mean, partly it's like, we're not as tumultuous, maybe. It feels like, you know, like the intensity of emotion, maybe it just, you know, whatever that, I mean, you're a psychologist, so you can answer this question, maybe. Um, You know, what is that thing that happens? Like, there's something actually that changes in our brains that makes us experience emotions or things less intensely, or like people in their 20s are much more reactive with their emotions. Is that, that's actually a thing, isn't it? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) Right. I do well, not know yeah. every fact of psychology. I, I hate to tell you. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Then I'm just talking out my butt. But I do feel like I remember reading about this and kind of have some vague sense of maybe I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But um, this idea or the phenomenon that uh, 
there's actually something that changes in your brain around. I know that there's a thing about how like your, your cerebral cortex is developing up until, and your executive functioning and things like impulse control are continuing to develop up until your mid twenties. This is a kind of thing that college professors kind of always talk about. Cause we're like reminding ourselves our students are actually maybe not capable of doing some of the things that we're expecting them to be able to do because they're literally, their brains are not fully done yet or whatever. They're, they're not cooked yet. But I feel like part of that whole thing is like this idea that when your brain matures in this particular way, it also causes you to not to experience things as intensely. It's not just hormones, in other words, like that feeling that you're going to die if somebody doesn't call you back or like it's the end of the world and somebody breaks up with you is actually it's really true in the sense that the intensity is stronger for younger people. So I think maybe that's also part of it, that like the music that we listen to when we, when we have that kind of mindset is much more like our emotions are much more roily and intense. And so the music gets all mixed up with that. And we associate the music with having that intensity of emotion. And maybe if we're not experiencing things that same way, the music just doesn't mean as much to us. I don't know. Well, this is I'm going to say that the one thing I can add as a psychologist is to use I statements, just because <laughs> like that might be true for you, but I don't know if it's true for everyone. Like I I mentioned my boyfriend, Matt, you know, yeah. Matt yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. in here. And Matt has kept up with music right this right. entire time and he yeah. in fact has made me you know he made me a playlist so that he's like there's a lot of um female artists who you might really enjoy since the 1980s <laughs> <laughs> so he made yeah. me a great playlist and that's how I'm you know aware of Hyam and Dua Lipa and you know there's there's all of the there's fantastic music it's right. amazing how they can keep making music. Like there's all kinds of sounds that we just haven't heard yet. And so <laughs> yeah. I love that. So anyway, it's it's been fun to sort of learn new things from him. But I also learned that like I, I like to hear things over and over and over again. I like it when music feels familiar in mm, a way. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that's why actually listening to a podcast where they're talking in depth about one song at a time, and I can listen to that song a bunch of times, and I can know more about what it means and, you know, all of these things, that's really kind of delightful for me because then mm -hmm. I get really familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, sure. I didn't mean to imply that nobody keeps up with music past <laughs> age 40. I, yeah, I know people who do. I just, I just feels like a thing that I've heard so many people say, you know, like so many people, you know, after age 40, 45 say that they have said to me that they don't listen to music in the same way. Not that they don't listen to music, but they're not listening to newer music and they're not keeping mm -hmm. up with the cutting edge stuff that it seems like maybe that there's a thing there. And Matt's a special case too, because he's like a music dude. Right? I know. So he's a, an outlier. Like he's, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. it's very central for him. Mm -hmm. It's to it's really, and he, it always has been, and he's a musician and, you know, so I'm sure you could say the same thing about all kinds of stuff, like keeping up with literature, or keeping up with the latest novels or, you know, whatever. Like, it's just what, you know, you have to pick your, your things that you But I think with want. music, there is also sort of, there's a generational thing where it feels like, I mean, it's a coming of age sort of mm -hmm. um, experience when you start to learn about music and hear music and get into it. And, and it defines a certain period of our lives. And then, mm -hmm you know, the next generation's got to have different music. Um, right. That's their music. That's their coming right. of age music. So, so then it's not, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of, yes, there, there's probably some developmental stuff, but I also think there's yeah. just some generational stuff and a time of life when music is most potent for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like, 
it's complicated by the the whole like nostalgia thing though then because then we have to like factor into our theory here that there's also this very common phenomenon in which you know a generation becomes obsessed with music of 30 years before or whatever like you know when mm. the big chill soundtrack for us or whatever or mm -hmm. the way the kids now are listening to the 80s like it always just kind of like kills me when i when i stop and think about the fact that my students or you know friends kids or whoever who are listening to this 80s music and finding it so like amazing and loving it and be like oh i love the 80s and i wish i could be in the 80s and all that was it's like that's what we did with the 60s right or even the 50s mm -hmm. with like happy days or whatever and then i realized i was alive then and that was the music i was listening to and this must be what people the boomers felt like like i'm a gen xer so this may be what boomers felt like when we were all <laughs> running around in our bell bottoms and tie dyes and they were like what are you doing <laughs> why are you why are you digging up this old stuff you know when it was your music it feels bizarre to have it be the object of nostalgia because it's just like still fully present to you and mm -hmm. it's not it's not old time to me safety dance is not an old time song <laughs> it's just a song it's like a regular song that still exists <laughs> yeah Indeed. i just want to go back to something else you said about listening to music it's familiar i I've never asked anybody else if they have this phenomenon, and maybe you don't, given by what you just said, but I have this thing that happens to me where I'll become super obsessed with a song or sometimes a whole album, and I will wear it out in the sense that I will listen to it over and over and over and over again, and then at some point, I will stop being able to hear it the same way. It will stop. Mm. I'll still enjoy it. Like, I'll put it on, and I'll still, like, remember what I liked about it or whatever, but it's like... My brain can't hear it the same way. And it's maybe 20 t listens or 30 listens or something like that. But the weird thing about it is it never comes back. Like I can wait 20 years and listen to that album again. And it, it never again has that same like, it's like I, I'm editing it out or something or kind of not hearing it or it becomes background noise. It's really sad because I, I sometimes when I get really obsessed with something, I like try to now ration my, my listens. I'm like, well, I've got 30 listens of this before I stop being able to hear it. So I'm going to like spin it out because I don't want to. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call this phenomenon musical limerence. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you, you like, you know, limerence is like that part of the yes. beginning of a relationship where it's all like hearts and fireworks. And it's like, yeah, you have this intense uh, experience with it and you're like obsessed with it and you're into it and then it just loses its shine. Yeah. Yeah. If the limerence is with about a person that you're in a relationship with, you still love them and care about them. And I now see, I feel like there really is a psychological phenomenon. It's like part of addiction, too, where you just you now need the thing to just be at baseline. Right. So um, or you need more of it to have the same effect. You're chasing exactly. the dragon. Exactly. Yeah. I, I noticed this, you know, with my partner of 20 some odd years. Right. It's like we love and appreciate each other. When he goes away, I miss him. I'm really sad that he's not around. Mm -hmm. um, and then when he comes back, there'll be like a little bit of a, oh, you know, excitement of like remembering that feeling. But it's more like I feel normal when he's around. And when he's not around, I feel a lack. You feel a deficit. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. As opposed to like feeling normal when I'm just me and then extremely excited when he's around. Right. So it does mm. feel like, like a tolerance i guess is the is the word right when you get tolerant to a particular substance or something hmm. <laughs> i mean i, I think feel like this, I was... this thing with how i like listening this to you know <laughs> how i've been listening to nothing but taylor swift for the last year and a half is 
it's sort of like living in Santa Barbara. Like living in mm. Santa Barbara, it's so ridiculously beautiful here. And mm-hmm. it's gorgeous all the time. And you'd think that you'd, you know, sort of get tired of that. But every single time I see a palm tree, I'm like, oh my God, isn't that remarkable? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but maybe it's just my personality. It's I was going like, to say, yeah, this I can appreciate <laughs> it over and over and over again. And every yeah. time it's like, every time blank space comes on and I'm driving, I am like bopping and singing at the top of my lungs. I'm having the best time. That's awesome. I think that is a you thing or a a personality thing because I lived in Vancouver for 13 years, which is another one of those places where people were like, oh, my God. I remember um, a scholar came to town for a conference. This, I guess, was his first visit to Vancouver and we're walking around downtown and there's like just the stunning snow-capped mountains on the skyline and blah, blah, blah. And he just looked up at the skyline and he like turned to me and he said, how do you ever get any work done? And I was like, what? Oh, oh, that. Oh, yeah, that. But on the other hand, it's not like I didn't ever notice it. It was like somewhere in the middle. It's like mm-hmm. I noticed it all the time. I would be like, oh, look at this incredible view or look at the beautiful ocean. I definitely appreciated it. I guess the analogy is really perfect then for being like in a long-term relationship, or at least my experience using an I statement of being in a long-term relationship is it's not like you lose appreciation for the person at all. I constantly am like being like, what a great partner I have. I love this guy. This is awesome. He's terrific. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's not exactly the same as being as limerence. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank God. Cause limerence freaking sucks. It is the worst (laughs) feeling. (laughs) I think, I mean, I, I always wanted the crush part to go away. I'm like, God, can we just like get to the part where we're in our pajamas and watching TV together? Like, just like, Oh no, this is really exhausting. <laughs> I, I have another story where we will get to dig into limerence more, I think. Oh, uh, if, nice. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But okay. okay. I, but I want to go back to Taylor Swift because okay, you know, please. Yes, I just want to talk about Taylor Swift. Yes. Um, you said that you have some favorites of the song. Now I'm trying to remember which playlist I sent you. It might have been was it my draft picks? Was it um, I don't remember what it was called, but it had 59 songs on it, I believe. Oh, oh, I sent you T-Swift list. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, my top 59 songs. My my draft picks actually has, of those, my favorite songs in order of oh. favoriteness even. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah. And I'm sure that there's overlap, obviously, right? Not, not oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. All of the draft picks are on. Because I was listening to this, um, the podcast where they listen to one album at a time in each episode. And then the two podcasters did a thing. Okay, I don't know anything about sports, but apparently there's a thing when draft picks where, you know, you take turns choosing yes. players. Yes. And so... So they did that with Taylor Swift songs, but, you know, only one person could pick it. So you had to sort of be strategic about it because I'm like, ooh, I want to make sure I get this one. Like, as if if you don't pick it, you can never hear that song again, you know? So <laughs> right. so I, I sort of did it thinking about what are the songs that I would be so sad if I could never hear them again? Okay, that's a cool way of doing it. I like that. So the song I can't get out of my head, like literally it's in my head right now. And it's probably oh. never going to get out of my head ever again is the, you know, never, we'll never get back together. That one. Oh, I think it's we like, are never, so... ever, ever getting back together. Oh my God. <laughs> we're never, ever, ever getting back together. I just, I can't. Yeah. It's been in my head for like a week now. Yeah. So that's probably my number one. I mean, it's super catchy, super fun. I know super... everyone who's heard that song, it will be in their head for the rest of their life. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Forgive me my total ignorance here, but is that one of her more famous songs? I feel it like is I'm one of her more favorite okay. songs. It's an earlier song. Um, I also did watch her music videos, so mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. That's sort of a fun music video to watch also. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. I'll check mm-hmm. that out, yeah. Do you watch anything on Peacock at the moment, like mm. uh, the channel? We're re-watching The Office just for like total comfort, you know. Which I uh, haven't watched, so everything's a spoiler, <gasps> but I'm okay with that because, no, I tried watching it. I don't think it's for me. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We'll talk about this later, but okay. <laughs> the, Amer- the American Office, right? So, all right. Let me just say this. How far did you get? How much of a I chance I watched did you a few it? episodes. Um, you know, the first, like, Mm, I don't know. Well, four, if you're going to encourage me to watch it, I have to warn you, then you're not going to be able to do any spoilers. Yeah, yeah. I'm not doing any spoilers. <laughs> what I'm about to say has nothing to do with The Office. Okay. All right. I am just going to say like the first five episodes are shot for shot remakes of the British one. Mm-hmm. And then they do, and then they start doing their own thing. And when mm-hmm. they start doing their own thing, it gets so much better. Because okay. like the British office is very cringy. And so mm-hmm. it gets less cringy. Anyway, okay. that's all I'm going to say. It's, Thank you should you. really give it a chance. But the point of my story is we're watching Peacock and a lot and some people who came to do some work on our hardwood floors a couple of years ago apparently also spent a bunch of time watching TV. I guess they're waiting for the floors to dry in between mm-hmm. coats or something. I don't know. But um, when we came back, our stereo system was completely messed up and there was a new Peacock login on our TV that we mm. have kept. So just like- <laughs> We're, we're actually, we're in a hotel room the other day at a conference. We're like, oh, let's watch another Office episode. And then we realize we can't log on because we don't know what the floor finishing guy's login is. But anyway, so if you're watching Peacock right now, they have a Taylor Swift add on, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it's actually really fun. I think as a Taylor Swift fan, you would appreciate it. She appears in like, I think it's for Capital One. I don't even know what it's for, but she appears in a whole bunch of different there's shots with like 15 taylor swifts in it you know Mm. she plays all the characters Mm -hmm. in all these different shots and it's extremely cute and charming and she's like dressed up in all different kinds of outfits and so that's like she's been in my face a lot because i i I see this ad every day because you know i'll watch an episode or two of the office every day so i feel like she's very i don't know she's like really woven her i mean obviously it's a dumb thing to say but she's a really big part of pop culture duh but (laughs) but like in a way that's just like she's really like a touchstone you know like what was the last person that we had that same kind of like everybody even though i didn't know any of her music really very well i knew exactly who she was and i knew part of her life story and i knew you know all this stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah well you know and and it's funny because she's really engaging. Um, mm-hmm. Like she yeah. she really sort of engages with the fans. So I um, created a TikTok account so I could post little educational things about bisexuality and dialogue mm-hmm. across political lines and you know right. yeah, <laughs> that your kind stuff. of thing. Yeah. My stuff. Yes. <laughs> and but then I was trying to see like are there things I want to watch on TikTok? And mm. whereas other people seem to like get sucked into the TikTok vortex, I was just having trouble finding anything that interested me on TikTok. And then TikTok started showing me, probably because I made a little video about the um episode that I did of the that other podcast where we talked about karma and so it started showing me people talking about Taylor Swift and I'm like oh yeah this is what I want to see on TikTok I want to see the fans trying to figure out you know when the next album's going to drop and I want to see people dancing to this song and and I want to see people doing an intricate analysis of this song and it's so much fun. And I was like okay that's apparently all I want to do on TikTok is watch people talk about Taylor Swift. So that's really interesting. So it's not even about watching Taylor Swift herself. It's about 
watching people appreciate Taylor Swift? And is it like like feeling part of a community, I guess? I mean, there's it's like a whole absolutely a community. Yeah. She's yeah. really created a community around it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it's so cool. And she, you know, drops little clues about things that are gonna happen and so people are really paying attention and and she does apparently sort of pay attention to the fans too so she'll like respond to things so it's sort of like a different level of my fangirling over holy swift you know (laughs) yeah i do tend to fangirl podcasts i i meant to say also because you were talking about like they read my email that was so exciting i do tend to Right to, I, I tend to correspond with the podcast that I listen to. And one podcast, so Buffering the Vampire Slayer is the one about TV shows from the 90s that's obviously nice. about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so right. that one, they actually um, came to Santa Barbara, the podcasters did, upon invitation from myself and a few other people. Well, because you know, like Sunnydale, where yeah. Buffy takes place, it is yeah. Santa Barbara. And so, was it like, here? no, it wasn't filmed here, but Sunnydale. I, they they call it Sunnydale, but it's clearly Santa Barbara for so many reasons. Okay. There's tons of evidence about it. We'll talk about that when we do our our Buffy podcast. I think. Nice, um, <laughs> excellent. I anyway, have so much so, to say. Anyway, so I yes, I have um, not only been read on a podcast, but actually had even more interaction with a podcast. So I just sort of think as I'm listening to people because they're in my ears all the time. I'm I'm like, oh, now they're like my friends, and so. I really do sort of have this relationship with the podcaster and you know sometimes they don't write back or read my stuff or whatever but it still feels like a connection you know Yeah. Yeah, no, there's something about like the intimacy of like especially if you have it like you know in your ears like if you're listening with AirPods or whatever or even in the car cuz like a closed sealed environment and the voice is filling up the mm-hmm. car that it feels very much like yeah, these people are my friends. I mean, it's so funny cuz I talked on the phone with a friend the other day who I haven't talked to in weeks but she's like oh your voice I just I was just listening to all your podcasts and like I feel totally caught up and (laughs) I know it was really sweet she's like yeah it feels like I talked to you yesterday of course I wasn't having the same phenomenon because I hadn't just heard her voice so I was like yeah so excited to hear from you in fact I think that's something I said in my paper fan letter to that essayist I was like I've been reading these essays and they're personal essays and I feel like I know you and I know it's really weird to get letters from people who like feel like they know you, but I, I feel really sad because I just read an essay about your friend of yours that died and mm. I'm experiencing that now. So, I mean, I guess really famous people talk about this all the time, you know, like Matt Damon or whoever, people just coming up to him on the street and thinking that they know them. But of course the famous person is like, I don't know you and this is weird. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I was talking to a friend yesterday who has been listening to the podcast who, mm-hmm. and actually I love this. Like he was like, wait, I used to write, but I, but I haven't in decades. And he actually went back and like dug out literally like floppy disks <laughs> and, wow. and like got them somehow, you know, translated into, you know, like sent them off and was able to read the stuff that he used to write. And wow. and I was like, I hope you start writing again because I always thought you were a fantastic writer. And so if we are inspiring people to write and mm-hmm. yeah. that would just make me so delighted. That is awesome. I love that story. Mm-hmm. I also think it's pretty funny that he had to get them translated because I, yeah. I have stuff on my computer that I can't open anymore. Old Microsoft Word documents that don't... Yeah. It's really, I'm sure some expert, some forensic computer person could probably piece them together. But yeah, maybe we should do like an episode in the future inviting on 
specifically call out to people who like started writing or be- took up writing again and want to come and share something and talk well, about it? Well, at least I would start with like, let us know if you're writing or if you have thoughts about, you know, like, hey, listeners, like, we'd <laughs> love to hear from you, you know? Yeah, and yeah. and I am hearing, I'm getting texts from people and, you know, yeah, that it's nice to know that like anyone's listening. Like if no one was listening, I would be like, hey, it's fine. I get to talk to D, you know, this is fun. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually kind of surprising to me in a way because like you know especially when people who aren't like my close friends are like oh I listen to your podcast and I was like really you want to listen to that I was <laughs> I mean I think it's amusing and charming and informative and great but you know mm-hmm. I'm part of it so it's like, kind of gratifying that anybody out there in the world feels the same way so that's yeah. really great so I think we've come to the end of my questions is there any last thing you'd like to say about your piece or about Taylor Swift or about any of the topics we've covered here that we didn't get a chance to go into more I mean, I could talk about Taylor Swift all day. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I will, I will leave that. Like, listeners, please send in your questions about Taylor Swift. I think Tanya that, will answer them. <laughs> Not I, I me. Will answer all of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that this was great. I think it was, it was wonderful to get to uh, write this. I mean, and really, yeah. uh, our podcast is what inspired me to do this. And so, Yay. I appreciate, you know, just the opportunity that that it created to to reflect on this and then to come to some emotional place with it too. I, mm-hmm. I sometimes uh, take classes with the LA writers workshop. Um, Al mm-hmm. Watts is the teacher there. And he says, you know, memoir is about transformation. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. And I feel like that's what would have been missing had I not gotten to a, an emotional place with this, but I feel like it really did sort of helped me tap into something that I wouldn't have mm-hmm. otherwise. So I just want to say like, thanks uh, for this opportunity to to do this and to delve into Taylor Swift and grief and music and all of that. Well, thank you. I really love this essay a lot. And I really appreciate the fact that you shared this with me and with us and we got a chance to talk about it. So well done. Brava. <laughs> <laughs> we will all see you next time, I guess, on the Dr. Waffle and Friends podcast. Listeners, if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and share so more folks can find us. You can follow us on social media at Dr. Wafflepod, that's D-R Wafflepod, all one word, or email us at drwafflepod at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for websites and other info. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.